Welcome to the Books on Air podcast. I'm Suzanne Harris, and my listeners get the secret story behind every book. You know, it's my great pleasure to introduce you to the author today. His name is Dr. Dennis Ross, and he's here to talk about his wonderful, can't-put-down novel, The Lethal Elixir. Now, Dr. Ross is a physician, and he's a highly respected nephrologist, and he's been in private practice for 40 years. He's done a lot of writing, but it's scientific journals, and he's currently a clinical professor with the University of Kansas. He's also written many articles, and he served on many boards, so I can't help but wonder, Dr. Ross, first of all, welcome to Books on Air. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. I can't wait to ask you questions. I'm just bubbling over with ideas. Well, it's great to be here today. I'm looking forward to to our conversation. Well, first of all, I have to say that your book is absolutely ripped from the headlines, and you had me sitting on the edge of my seat I mean, you are really a very good writer. And my first question, if I can get it out of this throat here, Mm -hmm. is how do you make the leap, and why did you make the leap, from medical writing into crime-slash-spy-slash-fiction? Well, I I guess I should tell you off, off the cuff here, I actually don't read as much as I probably should, but when I do read, I really enjoy thrillers. And one of my favorite authors, for example, is John Grisham. Uh, I love the way that he weaves this great story, but in the end, you kind of learn something, uh, but, but it's not something it's boring to read. Another favorite author of mine is Tess Garrison. She's an internist that writes these wild and crazy medical thrillers. So I guess I, I admired their work, and I thought, could I write something like that? And my first novel, The Perfect Match, was meant to teach the reader about kidney failure, dialysis, and transplant, something that I dealt with my entire career. And, and many of my patients and friends that read it really liked it. And so I thought, gosh, uh, maybe I should write a second book. And so that's how The Lethal Elixir came about. Well, the topic for the lethal elixir, you just, I mean, I just felt like it was, as I said, ripped out of the headlines, and especially with all of the stuff that's going on in the news and, you know, all of the business about the pandemic, and now we've got this war with Russia, and there's all of this information that's sort of coming at us, and when I started to read this, I thought, wow, this is so current. So let's give our listeners an overview of what the novel's about. So I wrote this novel actually before the pandemic. I mean, people say, well, did you write this with this in mind? I said, not really. I was writing it in 2019, 2020, and around that time frame. So the pandemic was just starting. So I was writing this mainly based on my career in medicine, in that over my career, I would see infections that my patients would get, and I I cared for many critical ill patients in my career, and they would get infections, and those infections were becoming more and more difficult to treat. Either they were infections, they were bacterial infections where they were resistant to antibiotics, and we had to find newer ones and more potent ones 
to treat those infections, or they were viruses that had mutated and subsequently became more severe infections for the person. So in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, the future here may be not wars and conflicts that deal with bombs and bullets, but maybe with bioweapons. And this has been talked about for some time, but it just became more apparent to me because of my career saying that could be a problem for us in the future. So it prompted me to write this thriller, uh, and uh, and I came up with the title. You'll think this kind of odd, I suppose, but I, I was I'm involved a lot with the opera, and there's a there's a comical opera called Elixir of Love, and in the Elixir of Love, the star, the, the main singer, falls in love with a girl, but he wants to attract her to him, and he buys this sort of snake oil substance from a salesman <laughs> that's supposed to trick her into loving him. <laughs> So I thought, okay, interesting. So I thought, well, in this case, it can be the elixir of death. Uh, so that's kind of how I came about the name or the title, which was a bit crazy to come up with it that way. But, but at any rate, that's how the title came about. And so I wrote this before the pandemic. It just happened that it fell into the time frame when this pandemic was occurring. Well, I think we've all had such a fear for, you know, the idea of an attack by some foreign bug or some foreign virus or, or something like that, I think is so terrifying to the general public because we've seen that in actuality on subways and, and we've heard about those kinds of things in other countries. And so I think that what you wrote just feels it almost has breath sounds and a heartbeat, if you will, simply simply because of the news. And we hear so much about things going on in other parts of the world. And setting it here in our country with that kind of idea, I think is really you guessed it, a thriller. I mean, <laughs> I told you. Oh, well, I was, I was hoping that would be the case. <laughs> it is. I was on the edge of my seat. I mean that. I could not I could not put this down. I thought, oh, my gosh. And I, I kept reading and reading and reading, and I thought, this is just such a terrific book. Now, you have a little portion that you'd like to read for our listeners, and I'd love for you to do that. I want them to hear how interesting this is. Okay. This is right at the beginning of chapter one. There is a prologue with the book, but this is chapter one. So here it is. The ambulance raced frantically to Deaconess Hospital through rush hour traffic with lights flashing and siren blaring. Its cargo, a male in his 20s, was writhing in pain, mumbling incoherent phrases and moving every extremity with no purposeful meaning. Dan Rutherford, the heavy, sorry, the brawny paramedic, driving the ambulance, gripped the steering wheel tightly as he weaved down Park Avenue. Turning his head over his right shoulder, he yelled to his fellow paramedic, Tom, how's our patient? Not good, Tom shouted back. Blood pressure is 75 over 50, and he's totally delirious. Temperature is 103 degrees. Be sure to wear some protective gear, Dan advised. We don't know what this guy may have. I've got on latex gloves, protective glasses, and a mask. I just noticed a pinkish fluid leaking through his clothing, so I'm going to take his shirt off and check it out, Tom responded. Oh, my gosh, he's covered with rash 
and some have blistered. Where they have ruptured is where the red fluid is coming from. It appears to be likely bloody serum. Any history available? His landlady discovered him on the floor of his apartment, Tom replied. She mentioned that there was stool on the floor. Some of this appeared to be blood. Apparently, he hadn't been seen in several days. She couldn't tell me much other than he does have a girlfriend, but she wasn't sure of her name. She wasn't aware of any family. He needs IV fluids now, said Dan. Give him a bolus of 1,000 cc's of normal saline. I'll let the emergency room know about his status. I'll tell them to get an isolation room available. Who knows what he's got? Wow. See, that's just ripped right out of the headlines today. I just, I'm right there in the back of that ambulance with you. You know, you told me a story before we started recording, and I think that this is really interesting. You talked about not being, quote, good in English, and yet here you are writing thriller novels that your writing style is excellent. Something influenced you. You went to a writer's conference. Tell me about that. So I I had this idea that maybe I should write a novel just kind of on my bucket list. So there was a company uh, that provided a a conference for for people who wanted to be writers. Uh, In this case, it was for doctors. So I'd gone to many medical meetings over the years, and I thought, well, this would be an interesting one to go to. We're not going to talk about some medical topic, but we're going to talk about writing. So you had to write a short story to submit to this, and then at the meeting, which was held in Cape Cod, they had best-selling authors who were physicians, and they told about their career and how they got into writing and, and how it all came about. And one thing that really impressed me, as I told you earlier, that one of the authors said he was horrible in English. And I thought, boy, this is me. I wasn't that great. I got, good, I got decent grades, but, you know, but it wasn't my thing, so to speak. And I thought, how did he make this work? Well, he said, listen, people can correct the grammatical things, but you have to be a great storyteller. That's the key. You have to have a big imagination, so to speak. And one of the speakers was saying how every time she traveled, she'd take, she would take notes of things going on that she would incorporate then into her novels in the future. So I thought, well, I have this whole series of things that have occurred over my career that I could maybe incorporate into a novel, like a medical thriller. And so that's kind of what inspired me to do this. And, um, you know, I wrote this short story that I had to submit for that, and I thought it turned out pretty good, and they seemed to like it. And I thought, that's kind of the further encouragement for me to, to write a novel. So, You know, you're t- I wanted you to tell that story because I know that probably there's someone listening to us who has thought more than once, I could write a book, I could write a novel. And sometimes I think hearing a story from someone who was, as you said, not good in English. And by the way, I'm a former English teacher. <laughs> not mm. good oh, in I better English. watch what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that. Um, but, you know, you're right. It's the idea of the storyteller. It's the imagination. It's how far can that imagination go. What's your writing process like? Are you a are you an outliner? Do you sit down and outline the the story before you even start? Or are you are a, a pantser? Do you sit down and the movie starts in your head and you just begin to type away? 
Well, that, that's interesting you bring that up because other people have asked me that same question, and that came up also in this writing class that I went to. Um, I am the latter. I don't create an outline. Uh, I, I have the storyline in my mind, and I know kind of where the beginning, middle, and end should be. Now, I don't know all the details, and perhaps it'd be better if I had an outline. I don't know. But uh, Tess Garrison, one of the authors that I sort of admire, said she does it like this. So she just starts writing, and, and sometimes things are changing as she goes through the storyline. So um, that, that's the way I do it. I, I think others perhaps do better with an outline of some kind. But, but I often think it's not the outline I learned in English. It's not Roman numeral 1A. Right. It's more like the man walked into the bank. He pulled out a gun, ran out of the bank with the money. And then they embellish it with everything else. You know, they, they put other things in there. I think the hardest thing about writing, which I think separates great writers from average writers, is being able to show and not tell. And I just, that's not an easy thing to do, I don't think. You know, it's, it's like instead, it's easy as a doctor. You want to be very objective. So you want to say, the moon is bright tonight. That's what I would say. You know, that's a doctor's way of saying it. Boy, the moon is very bright tonight. Or you could say, he peered out of his window at midnight, and the entire backyard was lit up, and he could see a shadowy figure running from tree to tree. <laughs> so, you know, you're saying the moon is very bright tonight without saying it. And, and I think that's the tricky part of writing, to be as descriptive as possible, so that the reader, in their mind, sees this image without you just telling them. And that, that's hard for me to do. But I think it's what separates a, a great writer from one that's not as good. You just gave the most lovely example of how that works. I think that, thank you, that was a perfect, their English teachers all over would probably like to record this and, and play it for their <laughs> students because that's exactly right. And you also gave a really wonderful example of the creative brain. Um, the creative brain is a very interesting place, and I always enjoy interviewing fiction authors because that creative brain, it's special. It's exactly what you just said. You see it. it it's there, and you describe it as you see it, and I think that that's very powerful. I couldn't agree with you more about what separates good writing from great writing. And I think when people start to read great writing, all of a sudden they, it's almost like a, a stream when you start to read somebody that's really a, a terrific writer. You, you dip your toe into that stream, and the next thing you know, something about that stream has reached up and just sort of gradually pulled you into that stream, and you can't stop, and you find yourself flowing along with that story as it unfolds, and you don't want it to stop. It's just so much fun, and it feels so good to be in that stream. And I think that's the kind of writing that you just described, and that's the kind of writing that I think you do. So that's a, a really good compliment for you. I really enjoy the way that you write. I like the way you put your words together. You're clear, but I like that I like that you use the medical terms, but you don't overwhelm me. You use medical terms that I know from watching doctor shows on television. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, sure. I understand. <laughs> I will tell you, I from the first book to the second book, I learned some things you shouldn't do. <laughs> and, and you kind of insinuated this in what you were just saying. So in my first book, I would write maybe 10 to 20 pages, but then sit it down for two or three months. 
And uh-huh. while that works maybe in the beginning of the process, mm-hmm. but as you get into the book, suddenly you're forgetting what you wrote in the first part, mm-hmm. and you can't you have to constantly go back and reread what you had written. Otherwise, you're tending to reduplicate things or whatever. So they had said this at the writing class again. I keep going back to that, that great authors, these, these, uh, these authors that are well-published and, and well-accepted, will write only a couple pages a day, which was amazing to me. But they write almost every day. Bingo. And, and, and so you're constantly into the storyline. And when I started doing that with my second novel, I realized how much better that was because it was like even when I wasn't writing from one day to the next, it was in my mind. I kept thinking, now what am I going to have happen next here? What am I going to have that character do? <laughs> you know, How am I going to describe this? And it kept me so engaged in the book. If I were to give any advice to somebody writing, I would say, you need to write a little bit every day, nearly every day. You know, It doesn't have to be a lot. But it keeps you so engaged in the storyline, it really facilitates the book flowing better. That's great advice. And I've heard that from a lot of different authors. Um, there was one author that I interviewed a long time ago, and she um, it was Sue Grafton who wrote the ABC Mysteries, and her um, character mm-hmm. was Kinsey Milholm, who was a, a female detective. And She said to me when we were talking about writing process, she said, you know, one of the things that I'll do, sometimes I'll get Kinsey into a situation and I can't figure out how to get her out that day. So Mm -hmm. when I'm about to go to bed that night, I actually will write my brain a note. I will sit down and I will say, dear brain, I have Mm -hmm. Kinsey in this situation and I'll describe it. Please think about this tonight and see if you can come up with a way to get her out of it. She said, now, <laughs> that's, that's <the> thing. <laughs> it's true. It's, yeah, it's true. And it works. And she said, now, when I wake up the next day, the answer doesn't just come to me. She said, it's almost like the eight ball. She said, I'll be going about my business and I'll be doing the things that I do during the day before I start to write. And she said, all of a sudden, very slowly, like when you turn the eight ball over and you can see the answer, she said, I'll have an idea that will come into my mind, and I'll think, mm. aha, and I'll sit down and write the idea. So it's so interesting the way the brain works, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. And I, I do think sometimes you just have to set it aside for a bit and let it linger there for a while while you consider what the options are to write. Because I'm not saying it's the writer's block or writer's cramp or whatever you want to call it, but rather sometimes you just need a little space for a bit to think about it. And, and then come up with a solution. Well, let's let our listeners know where they can find the Lethal Elixir, because it's just, it's such a, a thriller page-turner novel. It's on Amazon. So let me spell names and titles, et cetera, for you. So if you go to Amazon, and if you've never, if you've never done a book, if you've never bought a book on Amazon, you'll see a long search box right there at the very, very top of their homepage. The title of the book is The, T-H-E, Lethal, L-E-T-H-A-L, Elixir, E-L-I-X-I-R, by Dennis, D-E-N-N-I-S, Ross, R-O-S-S. Put that in, click on it, and the book will come right up. In the upper right-hand corner 
of that page, you'll see the words, Look Inside. Please do. You will get to hear, you'll get to read what Dennis read earlier, and there's also an audio sample there. If you if you would choose to listen to the audio sample, just click on it. It's right below the description, and you'll hear a British man who is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I halfway expected you to be British when I called today, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> he reads this wonderful. He starts with the prologue of the book, and he reads a wonderful section of the book. You can read for yourself. If you click on the cover where it says look inside, the book opens electronically and you can read the very beginning and you won't want to stop. You will fall right into that stream and Dennis's words will pull you right along. Now it's available. Is it available as an audio book, Dennis? It is. Um, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. They can get Kindle. And I think it's, it's, now, it's now on Amazon and Archway Publishing is an audible. Good. Uh, so, yeah. Now, you've got a website. Let's tell our listeners a little bit about the website. Let's give the address and then tell them what's there. Well, it should be easy. It's readdennisross.com. So that's pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. I, I need to be, <laughs> so I need to probably put more things on there, but it does give some background on myself, and it talks about my first book and some of my second book. Um, and when, uh, like I mentioned to you earlier before we got on the show, uh, I'm going to be going to some book fairs in Tucson, L.A., and then a trade show in New York with Simon & Schuster. So when I go to those things, I'll probably be publishing something from there. Would they have an opportunity to meet you? Sure. And I'll be, there will be a book signing there. They'll get a free book, actually, at the book fairs. Um, and I'll sign their book for them and answer any questions they might have. Well, excellent. So you'll post on your website when you're going to be there, the dates, yes, I et cetera. Will. I'm going to I'm going to do that. Uh, you 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 tweaked me to do it, and I need to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to get that done. <laughs> and put that on your Facebook page. Let's give them your I'll Facebook page. So the Facebook, I think it's just Dennis Ross at reeddennisross.com or reeddennisross, I believe. So, and they can also find you on Twitter and Instagram. Just use your name. That's true. Yeah, that's it. I think it's just under Reed Dennis Ross. All these places are Reed Dennis Ross. So, or just put my name in there in Dennis Ross. I think they'll find me. Now, there's a YouTube book trailer. Tell me there how, is. Yeah, tell me how to yeah, access so that. I, I I think they just type in the Lethal Elixir and we'll see that that YouTube short video, which kind of gives a little 15 second blip uh, on the book. Uh, it's meant to be to tweak you and to get you interested in reading it. Those are always fun. I always really like those little little video trailers like that. Now, you and I have talked about a lot of things, and I've already sung the praises of your book because I really, really enjoyed myself when I was reading it, and I just fell right into it. You just pulled me along. But I wonder, this is a very interesting topic. And when our listeners become readers and they pick up a copy of The Lethal Elixir and they sit down, and they won't be able to put it down once they sit down with it, and they read and they read and they read and they come to the last page, they read that last page, and then they close the back cover either electronically or physically, do you want them to just feel like they have been mightily entertained with a wonderful story? Is there some other message that you'd like for them to take away from the book? Well, having practiced medicine for a long time and 
seeing many people with infections over that time because I, I cared for many critically, critically ill patients. I saw an evolution of difficulties these patients had with infections, where those infections were much more difficult to treat, uh, and, and in part because, and, and I guess I can say this because when, when someone goes to their family doctor and says, well, I have a cold, give me an antibiotic. And the doctor says to them, to that patient, says, well, you know, this is a virus. Antibiotics aren't going to help you. Oh, no, I need an antibiotic. You've got to give me an antibiotic. You have to realize that too much use of antibiotics will create resistant organisms that then in the future will require more and more potent antibiotics to try and treat when you really do have a bacterial infection. So if anything's if anything comes out of that, you should think about restraining the use of, of antibiotics when they aren't really necessary, and also realizing that we're in a time and a place where this evolution of infections could be used for nefarious reasons, like bioweapons. And that's something we just have to be aware of. That could be a problem in the future, and we have to be cautious about it. Not anything you can really do about it, per se, but you have to realize that the future may not be with bombs and bullets, but it may be with bioweapons. And I think it's become even more relevant today as we've seen this pandemic evolve. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we've also believed that we were sort of immune or isolated or things like that would not touch us. And I think this pandemic has done many things, some of them good, some of them bad. But if nothing else, I hope it's raised people's awareness that we're not that invulnerable, that we really are right here, right there, and things can happen to us just like they can happen in other places. This has just been such fun to talk with you. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Dennis, Suzanne. For... I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it today. Uh, it was fun, wasn't it? It was. I'm glad. Remember, you can find a copy of Dennis Ross' book, The Lethal Elixir, on Amazon. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope you'll join me for the next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know who's going to be here. And you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so very much for listening.